while we're coming back, let me just give you a little intro to where we're headed today. We, you know, we just finished up a series by um, Robert Morris called uh, Dreams to Destiny. And we talked, we've been talking about the last eight weeks about how God has a plan and God's got a purpose for your life and, and for us to, you know, um, seek the face of the Lord and try to, you know, understand what that, uh, that plan and that purpose uh, is for our life. Um, but after I, we finished that, I started thinking and listening and more teachings and, and trying to just, you know, hear God on that. But I understand that for everything that God wants to do, there's an opposite, the enemy. We have an enemy of our soul. The Bible tells us that we have an enemy and his name is Satan. And that, so I begin to think if God has a plan for us, well, maybe the devil has a plan for us as well. And I want us to just look into that today, that uh, some, of, uh, uh, some of Satan's greatest desires uh, for himself and, uh, and, and specifically uh, about himself. You know, you guys have heard that old riddle, you know, what's greater than God and worse than the devil? The dead eat it, and if the living eat it, they die. Nothing. You got it. Nothing. But I want to tell you this morning, and, and I, I, I think I would say that the two greatest forces in the universe, maybe it's, I shouldn't say the two greatest forces. Let me say the greatest force for good and the greatest force for evil, both of them want you dead. Okay, you understand that? Now let me explain it. God wants you dead. He wants your flesh dead. Uh, he wants to lay it wants to lay down our life. He wants us to pick up our cross. Uh, Jesus said that if we die, if we give up our life, we'll live. So God wants us dead for, you know, that flesh, that part of us that's alive to sin. He wants that dead. But Satan, the Bible tells us, the thief has come in John chapter 10 to rob and to steal and to kill and destroy. So, uh, you know, Satan wants you physically, spiritually, emotionally destroyed. God wants you dead for a good reason. Satan wants you dead uh, just because he simply hates God. Uh, and the only way that Satan really can get at God is to get at you. If he can bring you down, he knows that that hurts God's heart. So um, we're going to start. Two, there are two Old Testament passages besides the book of Job. There are two Old Testament passages that uh, specifically talk about Satan and you know, what he was like. And uh, we're going to begin in Isaiah chapter 14. It's easy to remember because Isaiah chapter 14, and then uh, you, after you go through Isaiah, you go to Jeremiah, and then a little book of Lamentations, and then you get to Ezekiel. But Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, just double the 14, you'll get there. Both of these passages are about the devil. And in the beginning of uh, Isaiah chapter 14, it starts out like this. And, you know, sometimes when we read the Old Testament, I know, you know it used to be this way for me. I'd read it, and it's just like, you know, I thought we were going down this one road, and I'm understanding it, and all of a sudden there's just like a, a sharp turn. It's like, where are we? How do we end up here? Isaiah 14 kind of starts out like that. He says, on the day that the Lord gives you relief, he's speaking to the children of Israel, from suffering and from turmoil and cruel bondage, you will take up this taunt, against the king of Babylon. So initially he starts out talking about a, a message to the king of Babylon, but then when we get into it a little bit, we find out that it's not talking about just the king of Babylon, but he's talking about Satan as well. 
And so in the Old Testament, or a lot of the Old Testament scriptures are like that, they'll have like a double meaning. One meaning uh, uh, can be for, you know, immediately, uh, as, uh, uh, for example, in prophecy, uh, one of them can have an immediate fulfillment, and the other one can be the same passage can have a, a future uh, meaning for prophecy. And so as we look at this, we start out talking about the king of Babylon. Remember that the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, and then his descendants um, had Israel in bondage for about 70 years, starting out with Nebuchadnezzar and then his son, his grandson. But then we see that there came a time for deliverance for the children of Israel. And God had already spoken, spoken in uh, uh, Jeremiah about how long that captivity period was going to be, about 70 years. And so we see here, he, he, he starts out talking to the king of Babylon, uh, speaking to him this time. Because remember, he exalted himself. You know, he was that in, that, in that vision that he saw, he was that head of gold. He was the highest of all of those four kingdoms that were represented in that vision. He was the greatest of the kingdom. He was this head of gold. And remember how pride kind of entered into his heart and the Lord brought him down. He was humbled. He was cast out uh, for a seven-year period. Um, he grew uh, feathers on his back. He was out, he was just out of his mind, living like a wild beast. So as we think about this, as we look at this, there are three points that I want to just show you this morning. What was Satan's greatest desire? And when I say what was Satan's greatest desire, I want to take you back uh, you know, before the garden, and I'm going to take you back before creation, and I want us to go all the way back to a time when, you know, Satan himself decides that he wants to be like God. And we'll pick this up. Now, as we read this, I want you to notice there are five I wills in this passage of Scripture. And he begins like this. He says, we're still in Isaiah 14, started out talking about the king of Babylon, but now we're talking about we shift, okay? And he says, how are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations? For you have said, I will, it's my desire, this is my desire is what he's saying, I will ascend into heaven. Now notice all of these are places of elevation. It's constantly going up and up and up. He says, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt, that's lifting up, my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount. The mount is the highest part of the mountain. Uh, I will sit on the mount of the congregation. On the farthest sides of the north, north is always up on the map. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I will be like the Most High. Now, this is what his desire was. This is what he was saying. There came a time when he says this, and God says, no way, Jose. Okay? Remember um, Deuteron or Exodus chapter um, 20 when he's talking about he's giving the, the Ten Commandments, and he says, I am the Lord your God. You'll have no other gods before me. He says, I'm the Lord your God. I'm a jealous God. You're not going to have any other gods before me. So in the moment that Satan does that, in the moment that Lucifer does that, we read verse, uh, the next verse, and it says, you know, after he says, I will be like the Most High, and then he goes on to say, you will be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. God's saying, just boom, you are out of here, dude. You are out. So when we think about this, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, theologians believe, this is what most theologians believe, that, that uh, 
when, when we talk about uh, uh, Satan being cast out of heaven, the Bible says that the earth was void and without form. Darkness covered the face of the deep. And so most theologians believe that when that happened, when Satan exalted himself uh, and said that he wanted to be like God, God cast him out. We're going to look at a couple of more scriptures uh, to confirm that, just so that, you know, you've got it in your heart and your mind. Now, you know, we, we understand that we've been born with the Adamic uh, nature after, a, after Adam. But I want to tell you that we have not only the Adamic nature, that we have a satanic nature as well. Adam wasn't the first one that sinned. Satan, Lucifer, was the first one that sinned when he said that I'm going to be like God. And God says, no, you're not. God cast him out, cast him to the earth. And the Bible tells us that a third of the angels in heaven followed him, and they were cast out as well. Now, notice what Jesus says in John chapter 8. He says, he's talking to the religious leaders, those that just could not get a grasp on what he was saying, those that couldn't handle who he said that he was, and he says to them that you, he's speaking to these religious leaders, belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. And so, uh, what Jesus is saying is that this is Satan's nature and this is, this is Satan's character, all right? It's all about, you know, what I want. And, you know, before we come to Christ, we had that same kind of nature that life is really about us. It's what we want. It's about, uh, um, you know, us being number one, us being looked at, the pride of our heart. You know, and if you don't believe what I'm telling you, that there's still a residue of that left over in our life today, in your life today, and in my life today, uh, just think about it. When someone takes a group photo, who's the first person you look at? Oh, seriously. And if, that, if your hair is messed up, or you're not smiling, or you got some kind of wrinkle on your face, it's, no matter how everybody else looks, it's a bad photo, Right? It's bad. Just get rid of it. Let's take another one. Let's do another one. And so we still have that kind of residue in our life today, kind of like Satan, you know, I want to be exalted. I want to be lifted up. I want to be to that higher place. But notice the contrast of that. Now, when we come to Jesus and we, we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that notice the contrast between Lucifer wanting to be high and lifted up and looked at and exalted on the mountain of, uh, the mountain of God uh, to be just like God, uh, but the contrast that with Jesus in the New Testament. Now, I'm going to move through these quickly because this is just only part of what I want to talk about this morning. John chapter 12. He says, I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. So whatever I say... Uh, is just what the Father told me to say. He keeps pointing his life back to, uh, to the Father. John 14, 10. The words that I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Verse uh, 31 of chapter 14. The world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded. He's never pointing to himself. He's always pointing to the, to the Father. And so then we, by the time that we get back to Ezekiel chapter 28, I want to just read this. Ezekiel 28 it says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up this lamentation for the king of Tyre. Starting out just like Isaiah 14 did. He says, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up this lamentation for the king, this man of Tyre, and say to him, 
Thus says the Lord. So a lot of times what we see, and this is the classic example of that, is God is speaking not only to a man, but the spirit that is motivating that man. Let me give you a New Testament example that you'll recognize right away. There was a time when Jesus is speaking to Peter, but not to Peter, but to the spirit behind Peter, when Peter is forbidding Jesus to go to the cross, and he says, get thee behind me, Satan. So he's looking at Peter, but speaking to the spirit that's motivating uh, Peter. And so let's continue on, uh, Ezekiel chapter 28. Uh, get, you guys stay with me on this because this is good. You get through this, uh, you'll have some better insight on how to deal with the enemy and what the enemy's trying to bring into your life. So he goes on. He's saying, now he starts out talking to the king of Tyre, but then he shifts. If we get this shift, and all of a sudden, no longer is he talking to the king of Tyre, but he's talking to, to Satan. And he says that you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Well, the king of Tyre was never in Eden. He was never there. In fact, we know that there's only four persons in the Garden of Eden. And it was God, it was Adam and Eve, and it was Satan. Those were the only four people that were, or four persons that were ever there. He says that uh, you were in Eden, the Garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. I'm going to come back to that. I'm going to talk about that more in just a moment. And he talks about the sardis, the topaz, the diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, emeralds with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day that you were created. We're going to get back to that again as well. You were anointed. You were the anointed cherub. Okay, what's a cherub? Another word for cherub is an angel, okay, uh, who covers. I established you. You were on my holy mountain. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day that you were created until iniquity was found in you. And by the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and sin. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub. All right? So I, I, there's, I'm, we're going to come back and deal with some of this, but I want to just cover a couple of things at once. He says that I, you know, you were cast out. You were cast out as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. Now, Jesus talks about this in the New Testament. In Luke chapter 10, he says the 70 returned. Remember, he sends out the 70, and he tells them to go out, heal the sick, and cast out demons, and, you know, do, do this incredible work of God. Jesus said, I'm sending you out two by two. And so when they come back, they say to Jesus, they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us through your name. And the Lord says to him, uh, he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. What he was saying is just what we just read back in, in uh, Ezekiel chapter 28. He said, I saw it. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And I have given you authority to trample on uh, snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits are submitted to you, but rejoice rather that your name are written in heaven. Just got to ask you real quick. Are you sure? Is your name written there this morning? Think about it. We're gonna, we'll come back to that as well. 
Here's another example of that. Revelation. He says, and war broke out in heaven. I mean, I don't know. I get kind of like goosebumps when I think about that. War breaking out in heaven. Now, remember I said before that there were, and, and I know that, guys, if you're like me, sometimes we get this mindset and we're not thinking right. You know, I'm thinking, you know, man, it's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a fight up there. It's God and Satan. It's God and Satan. And, you know, and, and it's like a wrestling match. And, you know, God's got him down. And all of a sudden he breaks loose and he's getting away. And, and then God's got him down and he's breaking loose and he gets away. And let me tell you, it's not like that at all. That's why I said, you know, there are, I said initially there were two, two of the greatest forces in the universe. But I changed it. It's not two of the greatest forces because, you see, in this battle right here, we see God the Father sitting on the throne, and we see Jesus at his right hand, right? He never have, had to leave the seat. He never had to get up. He said, Michael, Michael, over here. Take care of that. Could you take care of that? Revelation chapter 20 says that at the end of the age, that an angel doesn't even give him a name, comes out of heaven and grabs the devil, Satan, by himself, one hand, throws him into the lake of fire, throws him into prison. There's no struggle between God and Satan. I mean, this is both hands behind my back. This is both hands behind my back. So he goes on to say, and their war broke out in heaven. And Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not and they could not prevail. Nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. They were cast out. So that great dragon was cast out. That old serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. So before I move on a little more, I'm going to just, I need to touch on a couple of things. Uh, in Ezekiel 28, 13, there's some similarities, okay? And when I say that, you know, when we talked about Jesus talking to the religious leaders, he says, there's some similarities between you and your father, the devil, Okay. And he talked about lying and, and murder, and there were some similarities there. But there's also some similarities between us, God's creation, some good things, and the enemy as well. Let me point this out to you. He says, the workmanship of your timbrels, we're in uh, chapter Ezekiel 28 again, verse 13. The workmanship of your timbrels, the word that we would use for that today would be a tambourine. Timbrels, your timbrels and your pipes were prepared for you on the day that you were created. What it's saying is that God created within him. Keep in mind that, that Lucifer was the worship leader in heaven. He led all of the worship. He led worship in heaven. And, and so what, what God's saying here, he's saying that in the day that you were created, there were some things that were created in you uh, your timbrels or your tambourines, or we'd call that percussion-type instruments, and your pipes or what we would call wind-type instruments 
were prepared for you on the day that you were created, and you were, you were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you, and you were on the holy mountain of God. He was there leading worship with the, with the wind instruments and with the percussion instruments. And then we go back to Isaiah because Isaiah picks up on something as well. In Isaiah 14, 11, he says, And your pomp, your pomp is brought down to shield. And the sound of your stringed instruments were brought down as well. So you have these three different types of instruments. You have the wind instruments. You have the percussion instruments. And you have the string, the string, the percussion, and the wind. Okay? Did you know that all instruments that we have today fall in one of those categories? And God is saying that I, when I created you, Satan, when I made you, I made you with these instruments in place. You know that God made you and I the same way? That he has given us, you know, wind instruments and he has given us strings. We have what we call vocal cords, strings that are in our throat that when wind passes over them, you know, they can make a melody or a song. We have that. We have the percussion. I know I just woke some of you up. But we have that percussion that we can, we can do the same thing. God has made us the same way, in a similar way. All right, let's keep, let's keep going. So I'm going to just set that aside for a second, and I'm going to just go back to Lucifer being the, the archangel, this covering cherub, the one that led worship in heaven. He was the worship, he was heaven's worship leader. And the Bible said he was perfect in all of his ways until iniquity was found in him. But, you know, the Bible talks about three different archangels. They're mentioned by name. Lucifer, as we just talked about, is the uh, archangel of worship. And then we have um, Michael. Uh, he is also an archangel. And we see Michael appearing uh, in the Old Testament in Daniel chapter 10 when there was a struggle there. There was a great spiritual conflict that was going on in the Old Testament. And uh, Daniel was seeking a word. And this angel was trying to bring forth the word, uh, you know, from God. Uh, and he was just travailing in prayer and travailing in prayer. And then all of a sudden, Michael shows up and said, hey, you know what? There was a hindrance in the heavenlies that was going on. But I'm come and I've come to answer your prayer. And then we see in the, uh, in the New Testament, we see another archangel, and his name is Gabriel. And remember, Gabriel was the messenger. He's bringing forth the word of God. And so he brings this word forth to Mary, and he brings forth this word to Zechariah. So we see the three. We see the worship uh, that was, you know, uh, had been uh, overseen by uh, Lucifer. We see the prayer that was overseen by Michael, and we see uh, uh, Gabriel bringing forth the word. And you know that in every time, every time that we get together, those three components are evident in the church. We'll have a time of prayer. We'll have a time of worship. And we'll have a time of bringing forth the word. In your own quiet time, when you get alone with God, there should be a time where you just, you worship God, you're exalting God, and then you get into his word, and then you get into prayer. And so those three components are there. 
Now let me back up again. I want to look at one other thing here. He says that you were perfect in your ways from the day that you were created till iniquity was found in you by the abundance of your trading. That word means, the Old Testament word, the Hebrew word from that for that in the King James is merchandising. He says, you know, by the abundance of your trading or merchandising, you became filled with violence within and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you out as, pro, as a profane thing. Let me just tell you what that means. Here's Satan in heaven. And he's leading worship as the worship leader for God. And all of this worship is kind of like passing through, passing through, passing through from Satan back to the Lord, and God is being exalted. But it would work like this. If I had... Uh, Richard in the office, and Richard was uh, making some sales, and every time he made a sale that I was supposed to get, say, $300 off of each of these sales, and Richard would just skim off the top a little bit for himself, say $50 or $100 every time, and just kind of give me what was left over, okay? That's the merchandising that he's talking about here, and so when worship was coming, Satan was skimming off the top and said, you know what? I like this. I want to be exalted. I want to be high and lifted up. I want to be magnified. I want to be like the most high God. You know, he doesn't deserve all this worship. I deserve a little bit of worship in this place. And God said, no way. No way. That's not going to happen. And he was cast out. He was cast out of the mountain of God. Again, um, he was stealing worship from God, and God says that all worship, everything. He says, I'm a jealous God. Again, think about it. I'm a jealous God. I, I don't want my worship, the worship that belongs to me, going to anyone else. And Matthew, we, that, that's what we talked about uh, was Satan's desires, what got him in trouble. The second point that I want us to look at this morning is that what is Satan's desire? And all we have to do is turn to Matthew chapter 4 and look at Jesus' encounter with the devil. Now notice this. It says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain. Okay, there's that word high again, the mountain, up, taking him up. And showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this, he says, I will give you. This is what, this is what Satan is saying to Jesus. All of this I will give you if... Listen, if you bow down and you worship me, if you bow down and worship me. See, worship is an expression. And I know our worship team, they're always trying to get us to raise our hands and get in the presence of God. You know, you can raise your hands, you can fall on your face. These are postures, these are positions of worship. But notice what Satan says to Jesus. I want you to bow down. I want you to express worship to me. Bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, away from me. Get thee behind me if you like to speak to the devil in King James language. Get thee behind me, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. So, you know, guys, I want to just tell you that expressing our, our worship or expressing our love is really important. You know, it's important to our wives. It's important to our families. You know, just not to just say it, but to express it. There's that, that expression of, of, of worship. 
there's that expression of love. It's not just telling me that you love me, but, you know, that you're showing me. And guys, I'm going to just tell you that, you know, the greatest thing, fathers, I'm going to just tell you, the greatest thing that you can show your children is how to express worship to the Lord. Because you know what? A lot of these little boys in here and these little girls in here thinks that, you know, mommy worships. It's, this is what women do. This is what mommies do. But I want to tell you something, that men, you need to teach your children how to express worship. You need to worship God. Not concerned about who's watching you or who's thinking about it. You just close your eyes and you can fall on your face. You can kneel down. You can turn around and kneel on your seat. You can lift up your hands. I know that, you know, guys, I, I, you know, we've got the sorriest excuses. We'll say that, you know, I just, I don't express myself that way. I'm not very expressive that way. Yeah, let me come to your house on a Sunday afternoon when you're watching football. You are screaming. You are shouting. You are throwing the remote at the TV. You're angry. You're upset. You're expressing something. Hey, you know what? If we can do that over a football game or a baseball game or a basketball game, how much more when the King of Kings saves us for an eternity? I mean, we can worship him. We can worship him. All right. Wow. Okay, number three. Number three. So we talked about what was his um, desire and what is his desire and what will be Satan's desire, just kind of moving forward. And thank God we have the Word of God. And we can look into the Scriptures and we can see what the end is going to look like. Now, in Revelation chapter 13, it's just talking about that end time, this tribulation period. You know, I mean, it's, a, I mean, it's going to be just like the Bible says it's unlike any period on earth's history. It's going to be things are going to be so bad. And so we pick up in Revelation 13, it says, and so they worshiped the dragon. And remember, we know that we understand that the dragon is uh, uh, Satan, the devil. It says they worshiped the devil or the dragon who gave authority to the beast and, and the Bible talks about this, and I know that when we read this uh, revelation, we start thinking of beauty and the beast and dragons and fire coming out of their mouth and stuff like that. It's not like that at all, okay? Um, but what we have in the in Revelation, uh, the book of Revelation 13, 14, 15, right in there, we have what's called the unholy trinity. It's almost like everything that God does that Satan wants to do a counterfeit for. And so we have Satan himself uh, representing uh, like God the Father, and then we have the Antichrist, this beast that comes up out of the sea, and, you know, if you go to the first part of Revelation, and I don't want to get into all this teaching this morning, but it just talks about the people are these multitudes of waters. So out of these multitudes of waters, this, this Antichrist comes up, and uh, he is called a beast, and then we have the beast of the sea, and then we have a beast that comes up out of the earth. And so uh, the beast that comes up out of the earth is like he's able to do these supernatural miracles and all of these signs and wonders that's able to deceive. But it's the unholy trinity of Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet, okay? Um, but but I, I, what I want to get to is this right here. Listen to Revelation 13. And they worshipped the dragon. I mean, this is this actual, uh, you know, actually worshipping the devil. You know, years ago, uh, when I first got saved, uh, I remember this testimony of a, a Santa Fe high school teacher. Some of you will remember the story as well as I tell it. Uh, teacher in high school. 
And some of the kids in his class were believers, and they were excited about Jesus. And he was just like, no, you guys, you're nuts. You know, you're nuts. You know, it's just like I'm not, I'm not going there and I'm not going to believe that. And then as time went on that year, the same class had a group of individuals that worshipped Satan. And they asked the teacher to come to one of these meetings. And it was just like scared the daylights out of him. You know, and he started thinking, you know what, I've, I've never really believed in God. I don't believe in God. But these guys really do believe in the devil. And he said, if there is a devil, I think I believe that there's a God. And it's how he came to the Lord. It's how he got saved, by someone inviting him to worship the devil. And so at the end of the age, we've got, this, uh, we've got Satan, we've got the dragon, we've got the, 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 uh, the Antichrist, we've got the false prophet. And it says, and they worship the beast now listen to this. This is going to be really good, okay? It's, it's always good when you can put Scripture together, right? They said, who is like the beast? And who is able to make war with him? Now I want to tell you what, if that doesn't get you going, it will in just a moment, okay? When we tie it all together, it's going to get you going. Who is like the beast and who is able to make war with him? This is what they're saying as they're worshiping the devil. Who is like the beast? Let me just read a little bit further. It says, and he was given power to breathe or, or to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. This is his desire. This is Satan's desire that we take worship away from God and give it to him. He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive the mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one could buy or sell until he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. We know that to be 666. Let me go back to that statement again. Who is like the beast and who is able to make war with him? You know, there's certain things that begin to happen at the end of the age that kind of cause that, that domino effect. One domino hits another one, another one hits another one, and it just all begins to unfold. And I can imagine, I can imagine in heaven when they're saying this, the first time that it comes out of somebody's mouth that who is like the beast and who is able to make war with him, I, 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 you know, the Bible talks about there's a silence in heaven. Just There's a silence in heaven. And I'm thinking, they're saying, what did he say? What did he say? What are they saying? Who is like the beast and who is able to make war with him? Did you hear that? Did you hear that? And, and see, keep in mind, we still got Jesus on the throne sitting at the right hand of the Father. And I think the Father looks at the Son. I heard it. Oh, I heard it. I heard it. I heard it. Let's keep going. This gets good. This is good stuff right here, guys. I mean, I'm pumped up about this stuff. All right. This is what, this, this is what makes us rock right here. All right, Revelations 19. No, after that, after that, after that. Well, I skipped something. I got to back up. Because what he said, 
What he said, who is like the beast and who is able to make war with them? See, there's another scripture that goes along with that. But it comes from Exodus chapter 15. And this is when the children of Israel had passed through the sea. And God has caused the waters to come back down on Pharaoh's army. All right, just destroying every one of them. And Miriam, all of a sudden, she gets inspiration. I'm writing a song, and this is what I'm going to say. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, and doing wonders? See, the enemy took a little, he took a little snippet of that scripture right there, and they said, who is like the beast? Well, in the Old Testament, it says, oh, who is like God? There's no one like the beast, but they're, you know, Nobody like our God right here. And so after all of that is, is said, here comes that domino effect. And he says that after, after this, I heard, heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude. See, they've been quiet. Oh, they've been quiet in heaven for a long time. They've been asking that question, how long, oh Lord? How long, oh Lord? How long are you going to wait? And then all of a sudden someone says, who is like the beast and who is able to make war with him? And he says, and then I heard what sounded like a roar from the great multitudes in heaven shouting, hallelujah, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belongs to our God. For true and just are his judgments. All right, it's wake up time in heaven. All right, we're getting it on. We're getting it on. There's getting, be, there's getting ready to be a whipping, a kicking, like you've never seen before. All right, I love this right here. Now, when things start getting going, when somebody says hallelujah, you almost have to go back to Revelation chapter 4 and 5. And I mean, it says as soon as they say it, man, all the elders are on their faces. They say hallelujah, they're all down worshiping God. And the same thing happens here, you know, 19, chapter 19, the 24 elders and the four living creatures all fell down. They started worshiping God who was seated on the throne, and they cried, Amen, hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you servants, you who fear him, both small and great. And then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like the peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Who, who is like the beast and who is able to make war with him? They're all just like, man, we're getting it on. We're getting it on. I mean, it's going down, it's going down right now. And he says, and I saw heaven standing open. Now, remember, Jesus has been on the throne sitting in the right hand of the Father before, but all of a sudden, John is seeing something else. He said, I saw heaven stand open, and there before me was a white horse. He's already mounted up. He's ready to go. Whose rider is called faithful and true. With justice, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns in his name. Uh, he has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. And the armies of the heaven were following him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he ruled them with an iron scepter. And he treads upon the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe... And on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amen. 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 All right. So we talked about the similarities in, in music. 
Now, let me just, I, I just quickly want to touch on this right here. There's some similarities in the way that the bride is dressed and presented in the way that Satan was covered. Look at Ezekiel 28, 13, speaking, God saying, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardis, the topaz, the diamonds, the beryl, the onyx, jasper, sapphire, tur turquoise, emeralds with gold. All of that was your covering. You know what I, I begin to think about is I be, you know, just begin to think about beautiful stones. and uh, You know what? A, a diamond, I don't care how great it is, if it's in darkness, all of these, just imagine all of these stones being in darkness. I mean, there's no beauty in that at all. It's only when light, it's only when light is on these stones that they reflect their beauty. And so then in Revelation chapter 20, he says, he carried me away. John is saying that I was carried away in the spirit to a great high mountain. And he showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like the most precious stone, like jasper stone, clear as crystal. And so he talks about how the bride is like that, just decorated with this beautiful, beautiful stone. And it's coming down, and, 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 you know, and everybody's like just observing and watching this. Now, guys, I, I want to just, you know, this is just me, okay? Me and people I listen to. <laughs> uh, but think about it. Let's go back, you know, to creation. And, you know, Satan, we already know the earth was void and without form. And so I said we believe that Satan was here and that God began to create. And he began to create the beauty, the heavens and the stars, the universe, the, you know, all of the light. He began the plants and animals and all of that. Everything, God was just creating it. It's just like, you know, God saying, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's all good, it's good. And before God created man, and Satan is just like chained here. This is, this is, this is where he lives. And I can imagine on that day, Satan, and we know that just in the book of Job, it appears that, you know, he'd go up to the throne of God, talk to God. God says, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him in the whole earth. A third of the angels have fallen. God's there in the garden. Maybe Satan came along and said, hey, see all the animals, see all the plants? Who's going to worship you now? Who's your worship leader in heaven right now? Who's giving you praise right now? Where's the worship leader? Where's all the praise? Where's it going to come from? I believe that God stooped down, picked up a little bit of dirt, blew in it, gave it life. He said, here, here. This is my worship leader right now. These are my worship leaders right now. And they will give me praise. Amen. How about we just end doing that today? Why don't you just stand with me? If you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, boy, what a great opportunity. 
And you can just simply say in the stillness and the quietness of your heart, God, man, I've messed up. I have messed up. I've made a mess of my life, a wreck of my life. I've sinned against you. I've transgressed your word. But your word says that if I trust in you with all of my heart and lean not into my own understanding, that you will lead and guide me and direct me along the best pathway of life. And God, today, let this be the end of my directing my life and let it be the beginning of you taking charge and directing my life. I want to receive you as my Lord and Savior. I thank you for the great work of Calvary's cross that your son Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And Lord, because of that, my heart is stirred, and my heart is full, and I just want to worship you. I want to exalt your name. I want to bless your holy name. Stir praise in this place, Lord. Stir praise in this place. We ask it in Jesus' name.